doing something very differently than everybody else in our sector. And we thought we were better at it than everyone. And so and, and that's not coming from a place of cockiness. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Man Talks Podcast. My name is Roger Nairn. And I'm Connor Beaton. Today we've got a great guest. His name is Jonathan Becker. Jonathan is, uh, can we call him a serial entrepreneur? Sure, serial. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's had multiple entrepreneurial opportunities and uh, currently is the managing director and, and owner of Thrive Digital. Thrive Digital is a great uh, digital agency in Vancouver that focuses on uh, uh, SEO, uh, SEM, uh, everything analytics-based, um, has some amazing clients like uh, like Uber, Lululemon, Lululemon, all sorts of cool stuff. <laughs> so we really dig deep into uh, entrepreneurship, the uh, pros and cons and, and, and troubles and successes of it, um, but really, 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 really good chat. Yeah, I think one of the biggest takeaways from this also is for people that are out there that maybe have a personal brand or they have a business and they're looking at, you know, the uh, – the age-old puzzling question of how do I get my website seen? How do I get traffic to my website? Um, John actually touches on that a little bit and uh, shares some insights on you know what are one or two th- simple things that you can do and focus in on. Um, so you'll definitely want to stick around for that. But before we do that, we wanted to thank our sponsor, Van City Buzz. Do you love Vancouver? Stay connected to your city with the latest in news, events, sports, music, and more with Van City Buzz. Check out vancitybuzz.com or search Van City Buzz on social media. So we asked Jonathan what his favorite little insider thing is to do in and around Vancouver, and his answer was... Okay, so I'm very proud about the fact that I've been swimming a lot more lately, and I think one of the most underappreciated venues in the city is the Vancouver Aquatic Center. There's <laughs> there's actually quite a bit that you can do there in terms of community programming and stuff, but I go there just to swim most you know Mondays, I think, uh, late at night. That facility, I actually have no sense of what the city's plan for it is. I, I hear that they're taking down that facility, I think over the next like year or two, and they're going to maybe rebuild it with something else. But in general, I I feel like the city's pools have been underfunded and, you know, aren't being used necessarily to the max of their uh, capability. Let's get into the interview with Jonathan Becker. Jonathan, welcome to the Man Talks podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So before we get started, we always like to ask our guests a very, very uh, uh, pointed question, but important question. Uh, can you tell us a story about a defining moment for you as a man? Absolutely. So as a man, it's a good question. I think uh, there have probably been a lot of you know coming of age stories uh, in my life. But one of the early ones was probably when I was going through a bit of a difficult time probably around the age of 27, 28. I don't actually consider myself to have grown up and become a real adult uh, until around that age. So I was still doing a lot of uh, figuring out to that point. Um, I had gone through a breakup. Uh, a business that I had been running was kind of not doing so well, and I had actually decided to shut it down. And because I was unhappy you know, because of the breakup and because of the professional circumstance, I also found that the people around me were kind of being affected by my negativity. And so there was kind of this period where I realized that in order to move forward, I had to build myself back up. And it was a big defining moment for me in terms of just realizing that, you know, I was an adult, not not so much a man necessarily as, you know, I'd, I'd grown up and now it was really up to me to figure out 
what lay ahead of me. And so I think, yeah, I was about 27, 28. At the time, the big thing for me was that I decided to go back to school. I had had all of these different, you know, experiences and skills. I traveled a bit. I'd run a couple businesses, some successful, some less so. Um, and there was a big turning point for me where I decided to kind of put everything on pause at a time when, you know, my peers were going to medical school, law school, uh, developing careers in real estate, whatnot. And uh, I basically went back to school, and that was kind of the beginning of my current path. Awesome. Very cool. So your current path has gotten you to today. Um, To build a little context for listeners, for those that don't know who you are, I was wondering if you can give us a little context on what it is you do currently, and how did you you get into that? Yeah, certainly. So um, I co-founded Thrive Digital with my business partner, Brent MacArthur. Thrive is about four years old at this point. I was a freelancer for a little bit beforehand, but uh, we are a digital marketing agency and we focus on a specific area called performance marketing. So to boil that down, it's pay-per-click style marketing with some programmatic media display. I don't think that makes a lot of sense <laughs> to a lot of people. It makes, it makes, per- it makes perfect sense to me, but, but <laughs> not, okay. not to most people. What that really means in plain terms is that we do e-commerce, lead generation, user acquisition, and brand awareness projects. And we have been very fortunate over the years to basically have the opportunity to work with some really cool companies. Um, we work with Uber. We work with Lululemon. We work with Arcteryx. Um, we work with Ernest, Munchery, quite a few startups uh, down in the States. Most of our work is actually American. Um, and then, you know, brands like Wilson, Solomon. It's been it's been pretty cool. But basically, uh, that's the path that I'm on at the moment, if that makes sense. And uh, I'm proud to say that we're a team of about 30 people. We have an office, obviously, here in beautiful Vancouver. And then we just launched a small office in Paris because we do a lot of work in Europe. Very awesome. cool. So let's let's back it up and talk a little bit about... Um, you know, that aspect of what you do, because I'm sure that there's a lot of people out there that are trying to start their own business or they have their own, you know, small business and they're trying to grow and expand it. And I'm pretty sure that for a lot of people, online marketing seems like this freaking black box. Yeah. It's like this elusive (laughs) thing. It's like, I don't even know. Well, I don't know what to do with my hands right now. Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, how do I, how do I market myself online? I don't even know what to do with my hands right right now. That was uh, what's that from? (laughs) We can help you with that. It's uh, it's a Will Ferrell quote. Oh, it's uh, (laughs) Uh, It's from that, uh, it's from Talladega Nights. There we go. Talladega Nights reference. Awesome. So, so give us like one insider, like this is like insider trading right here. Online marketing. Give us like one tip for the, for the young professional out there that's, that's trying to get their name out online. Cause it's a, it's a shit show. Uh, the best tip. So like if, so a tip designed for someone who's trying to break into the industry, um, Honestly, uh, it's funny because, okay, so just backing up for a moment, I mentioned that I went to school. I never studied the stuff that I'm doing right now. Um, I studied web development. I went to BCIT, which was like pivotal for me, huge, wonderful to have a technical background in our field. But what actually advanced me a lot was that I was able at a certain point to determine that I was really interested in like one subset of what we do. At the time, it was search engine optimization. And I just never stopped reading about that. So I read and I read and I read and I read and I read. And like, this is one of those things where like your mom, you know, you grow up and your mom's like, make sure you read, you know, don't stop reading. Like, and you're like, yes, mom, I know. Thanks. But you never actually do it. Right. Because reading is boring a lot of times when you're younger compared to watching movies or TV or listening to music or going and hanging out with your friends. So in a funny way, 
I decided to listen to my mom <laughs> and that was the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> um, no, honestly, it was reading. Like I, there was a certain point where I recognized that the internet had all kinds of different resources about what we were doing, some of which were great, some of which were less great. Um, but I read everything and I kind of got to this point where because of the amount of information I was going through every night. And I mean, like I was reading like two, three hours a night in addition to going to school and in addition to having my own little pet project. Um, at a certain point, the reading really empowered me. And so even to this day, when we have people that start at Thrive, um, we are extremely adamant about the fact people come to us and they're like, you know, what can I do to build my career? What can I do to really advance in this field? And I'm like, find the thought leaders in our industry. We'll suggest a few sometimes. And read, read everything that they've ever written, read their books, read their, uh, you know, blog posts, follow them on Twitter, see what they're, they're retweeting, see what they're reading, see what they're writing. All of that uh, is hugely, hugely powerful, um, which is interesting because I think at the end of the day, you know, the people who really succeed, um, this stuff is not spoon fed to you. You uh, just like you, you guys are experiencing too, like the success of Mantox is huge, right? No one's. No one's like architecting this for you. You're just kind of figuring it out. And that might take a variety of different shapes. For me, it was very much being a self-starter and just reading everything I could possibly get my hands on. Yeah, nice. Um, so in terms of, you know, you talked about uh, SEO, search engine optimization. So there's SEO, there's SEM, you know, there's like Google Analytics. And what are some of the, I mean, it sounds like um, just from knowing a little bit about the industry, it sounds like SEO used to be pretty big. And now it's not, it's still important, but mm -hmm. it's not as important. Sure. So if people are trying to build uh, their brand online um, and they're trying to drive traffic to their website, yeah. what are some of those keys that they should be looking out for? Um, it, you know, is SEO still the sort of like the be all end all is sure. it, is it SEM? Like what should they be? Yeah, it's a really good question. So you're quite right. If you rewind again, you know, seven years ago, let's say, um, if you, you know, were number one on the organic rankings, organic being the natural search results on Google for the particular search terms, we call them keywords that you were targeting, you were at the pinnacle of your internet marketing game. Like there was really like nothing else, you know, you could do, you were at the top of your field. These days we kind of make the distinction between earned traffic and paid traffic and, and search engine optimization kind of sits somewhere in the middle of that. Um, being something that, you know, theoretically happens naturally, um, which lends itself to that term organic search rankings. Theoretically, this happens naturally, but, you know, realistically, people have invested tons and tons of money in the practice of SEO. The problem is that uh, it's ultimately Google's algorithm. And so regardless of how well versed you are on the topic, Google controls you know, the 200 different signals that make up their ranking algorithm. And at a certain point, they realized that people were basically spamming them in order to show up, you know, in places within search results artificially that they didn't deserve to be. They were putting all sorts of hidden words at the, at the base of the site. All, and they all were, kinds yeah. of stuff, link, buying links, hiding words, you know, um, cloaking, like black, I won't get into sites. it because it's probably a little bit, you know, <laughs> geeky and nerdy for, <laughs> for the crowd here. But, you know, long story short, they changed their algorithm many, many times over the past few years and SEO became much, much more difficult to the point where now um, I always say that in my opinion, there's a diminishing rate of return on SEO. Um, we don't really find that with the paid stuff that we're doing. And when I say paid stuff, I mean paid search, which is, you know, 
uh, unsurprisingly, how Google makes all of its money. So, you know, they make it harder to do SEO and therefore everybody goes into, you know, buying keywords and pay-per-click marketing, paid search on Google AdWords. They're making billions of dollars off of that. Same thing, you know, Facebook and Facebook ads. But I believe the question was somewhere, you know, along the lines of like, for someone starting out, what should they be focused on? I think the message is always really important. Like, if you're not doing something that people want, then it doesn't really necessarily matter what you're doing. You can't just bolt on a paid you know, program or an SEO program for that matter and have it work. And we've had, it's funny because we've had businesses come to us before and you know they're at an early stage and their business is kind of unproven and they basically say something like, you know, we really want to invest in this. We're ready to spend X dollars per month. And we've had to be like, no, this is, you're way too early. We don't even know whether this is going to work and we don't want to see you waste money effectively. So good businesses, I find in, in many cases at the onset, like early stages, they rise because they're doing something exceptional, whether that's creating, you know, a wonderful speaking series like you guys have, or uh, for us, it was, you know, I was just a freelancer with my business partner, Brent, and we were just doing kick-ass work. Like we really were doing like some incredible stuff. Uh, people didn't always realize, I don't think, how incredible the work we were doing was. <laughs> That's the nature of, most you know, people, Most people don't realize how yeah. incredible the work it is we are doing. <laughs> client agency stuff, right? But yeah, I mean, I think you have to really earn it. And that comes through like long, long hours, putting way too much detail into something, not worrying about how much money you're making, focusing on the product or the service, making it the best you can. And my think, my thinking basically is that if you can do that, everything good will come to you naturally and it'll start to gravitate around you nice that's a that's a really great point and it kind of brings us into the conversation of entrepreneurship and you know you you've kind of gone from this space of can we talk about can we talk about the business that you had before yeah of can course. you can you share that like little it's, tidbit it's, it's all on the table um, <laughs> literally <laughs> are you talking about the poker company yep. okay yeah so i <laughs> i started a an online poker company so th- this is the business i was running before I went to BCIT. And so it was an interesting company because – so this is at a time when poker or gambling, let's call it gaming as they call it, um, was a very gray area um, in, you know, the legality of let's say, you know, North American law. The reason why it's a gray area is because, you know, the the federal and state governments down in the United States were trying to figure out a way of basically taxing it. Um, or just banning it. And the reason is because like gambling is a huge revenue source for uh, casinos or for for the state in the United States, basically. These, you know, groups of people uh, for a period of years were on the fence as to how to regulate it. It turns out they ended up just banning it entirely. But I kind of ran this business, which was an online affiliate for probably about a year and a half that was quite successful. We didn't take bets or host betting or anything like that, but we would basically catch organic, you know, Google traffic and then redirect it to these poker sites. It was an affiliate model. And so every time someone would sign up, we'd make a commission. Amazing business. I got to really sink my teeth into it. I scaled it out. Like it was for for someone who was like 25, 26, you know, maybe a little bit 27 when I was running this thing. It was very successful. Um, I was making really good money, but I started to have basically a moral dilemma with what I was doing. Um, As much as I love the concept of 
you know, running my own business and figuring out interesting strategies and tactics from an internet marketing and even web development point of view, I felt like I was building a bit of a house of cards. And so, you know, I was kind of like dating at the time, to be honest. And I would meet, you know, someone's parents and I'd have to explain what I did for a living. And I didn't really like that. Right, and so yeah. that, that was like, <laughs> that was the litmus test for me. I was yeah. just like, I can't do this anymore. That's like, so I, I mean, it's a good point because a lot of people kind of like just keep going down that path. Yeah. Right. They continually, it's just like they know intuitively and that gut feeling that comes yes. up when you have to tell somebody and then they don't do anything about yep. it. Um, okay, cool. So, you, so, so you're doing that. And then, so what, what did that, I mean, aside from, aside from not, you know, not being able to tell the parents what you, what mm-hmm. you were doing, you know, what did that actually feel like inside and, and going to work every day, yeah. doing something that, you know, when you, when you started to feel conflicted, yeah. you know, kind of what was that like? It was I think, a, I think there's probably a lot of people out there that are in the same position oh, yeah. as we speak mm-hmm. doing something that they're not necessarily. So I struggled with a love hate relationship with what I was doing. I loved the fact that I could do it. And I, you know, I was, I found something I was really good at. I mean, so when you good. say do it, do you mean to be successful at it? Uh, or operating just, the business. It, yeah. So, so I was very successful. I was a successful operator of an affiliate model that happened to be in the gambling business. And I, you know, in a certain sense, there were all these people around me that I saw trying to do the same thing and they couldn't make it work. So I was like, oh, this is really cool. I'm taking a lot of pride in the fact that I'm successfully running this business. The flip side was that my clients were like literally international gangsters. It was crazy. And uh, I actually never met a single person during the year and a half that I ever worked with. So these people were in – No client Euro- lunches, no, uh, no no wanting it done. None of that. Yeah. Um, Uruguay, you know, other obscure you know places in South America. They were in the Isle of Man, which is like a weird little island off the coast of the United Kingdom. They were in uh, offices in Israel, which is obviously much more of a regulated, you know, normal place. They were, it was just all over the world. And um, one of the pivotal moments for me was, you know, one month I was waiting to get my commission check from one of these new online poker rooms that I was working with. And uh, it was coming late. And then, you know, a week passed, past due, two weeks passed, a month passes, six weeks passed, two months passed. And I was really complaining to these guys, you know, I need to get paid. We're doing all this work for you. Where's, where's our paycheck? And they literally threatened me. And they were just like, you know, if you don't stop complaining, then maybe we'll pay you a visit type thing. And I was like, yeah, I need to get out of this business. (laughs) So it just wasn't, (laughs) at a certain point, I felt like I was building a house of cards in a sense. And, um, Mostly because the U.S. around this time was starting to really clamp down on these types of not, – not really on these types of businesses, but they were making it very clear that they wanted to protect their interest in the gambling business as they didn't do – as the U.S., let's say, didn't do with like Napster. Napster really changed the way that um, you know the music business, business in the United States worked and they didn't want to see the same type of change happen with – um, all the revenue that they had at stake in the gaming area from lotto to sports betting to, you know, gambling in casinos to poker, whatever it was, they just didn't want to put it at stake. So long story short, uh, I got out of that business. I quit while I was ahead. That was my strategy. And you asked me kind of what my message would be to other people that are, you know, in a similar situation. Um, don't be afraid to quit while you're ahead and kind of regroup and then take the wonderful skills that you've you know, provided yourself or learned and put it into something that is actually scalable. Don't build a house of cards, build a fucking castle, you know? Right. Which I think is a, is a great 
you know, piece of advice for, you know, some of the younger, younger people out there these days. Cause we, I mean, you look at millennials, they go through jobs like they're like, like they're nobody's business. What kind of a saying is that? Nobody's business. I, don't know. I was going to um, say like cigarettes and a pack of smokes, but that- <laughs> <laughs> but and I'm not saying that you should be jumping from thing to thing to thing, but um, it, you know it's it's good to know that you trusted your gut. You, mm-hmm. you, you knew when something wasn't right, and you're willing to to jump yeah. into something new. I think you know it's an interesting point you make of millennials. Um, I myself, if you had looked at my resume, you know, before I got onto like the thrive path that I'm on now. Right. Um, I had like a year here, two years here, a year and a half there kind of thing. And it wasn't so much – I think the whole millennial thing around work, working is that they feel uh, that they should never be tied down, right? They feel – I'm a millennial, but I'm like the oldest possible millennial. I was born in 82. So I'm 33. Um, when people mostly think of millennials these days, I think they're thinking of like you know mid-20-somethings or something like that. So – uh, I think they just feel very empowered to change their trajectory really quickly if they're not happy with what they're doing. Um, and so I was no different than that, except for me, there was no such thing as the word millennial yet when I was doing this. Um, it was my like ambition, I think, and kind of my you know spider sense in in this, <laughs> my my business sense basically. Right. Um, trying to guide me. And I was listening to a variety of different things, you know, little alarm bells that were going off uh, for different experiences that I had at different times. But I look at, you know, we we get a lot of people who are 30 or 28 or 27 or 25, and they've had five different jobs. And it's like all across the board. And you kind of have to sit down with these people at a certain point, just be like, so like, what do you want to do? What's your goal? If everything goes correctly in your life for the next five years, what what does your life look like? And then if what they say aligns with you know what you have to offer in terms of being an employer, then it, it might be a great fit. Mm-hmm. Cool. So so you 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 obviously have moved on to you know bigger and better things. Um, what what inspired you to to uh, get into this new business? And and I guess my greater question is what inspires you in general? What gets you excited? Ah, uh, it's such a good question. So I think from a business point of view, I was always. You know, you rewind back to when I was four. I had an office in my house. My mom, all my parents, my mom and my dad. Uh, we had this big bay window, you know, in in the first house that I grew up in, and I took it over almost immediately. And I was like, "Mom, Dad, this is my office," <laughs> and I had amazing. like all my toys there and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that. So I always. Do you have a secretary? Uh, I guess that would have been my mom. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she might have a few things to say about that. Yeah, exactly. um, we'll make sure to send her this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, like yeah, first thing. If you get a text message from yeah. me being like, "So, John, what's your mom's email address?" Yeah. Um, cancel by twelve thirty. I gotta, I gotta, <laughs> I, I gotta draw. Got no, cheese I, sticks. I love on. my parents. Like, I honestly <laughs> wouldn't be here without the incredible, like, unconditional support of my my parents and my family, my brother and sister, and my girlfriend for that matter. But. Um, I, I think to answer your question, I always had this strange, limitless drive to be in business. And so I kind of joke around that after the poker thing, like I wanted to have jobs and I, I wasn't looking to start a business. Starting a business is a huge pain in the ass, by the way. There's like, I can't even explain the number of seemingly insurmountable hurdles that you run into along the way. We still run into them, you know, that you have to deal with. I kind of miss the concept of a nine to five where like you swoop into work at nine o'clock and leave at 4.59 every day. Yeah. We were talking before the episode and you were saying that you go to work, go home, go to sleep, go to work, go home, go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm pretty, I am social. Like I, I do a lot of stuff uh, in terms of meeting with people after work and stuff like that, but it's, it's a grind some days. Right. It, it's hard 
But yeah, I mean, there are so many parts and pieces to, you know, an entrepreneur's mindset, I think that, that make them relentless. This is like the fourth or fifth company that I've started. So even before the poker business, I was running an event production company that was quite successful through university. And that was kind of my beer money, my source of like, you know, rent and things like that. And then I ran another business that was a digital signage company and that actually failed. I had a fantastic business partner and we went into it, you know, with all the right thoughts and, and, and feelings. But I think, you know, we were a bit younger and a little bit naive getting into the type of business that we did. So for me, there's always just been this weird, you know, drive, I think that backs it up. It, it, the, the most recent permutation of that drive is the fact that I'm running an agency, but that was really me taking advantage of, uh, an opportunity that I quite frankly didn't really plan. I think, you know, I kept getting opportunities to do different types of work and it was really small scale at first. And now, you know, we just worked really hard and we always got it done and we always made sure that everything was done as, as absolutely, you know, well and brilliantly as we could. Um, and then, you know, it turned into situations where we've had opportunities to work with incredible people. Like we, I, you know, I've sat down and met with the founders of Uber um, and I kind of knew those guys before most people knew them. Uh, we had a project a few years ago with Laureen Powell Jobs, who's Steve Jobs' widow. I had a phone call this week with the Clinton Global Initiative, and that's really exciting. We visited Bill Gates' office. Jack Dorsey has an agency in San Francisco and New York that he co-owns, and we do tons of work with them. We just you know, signed uh, off on a project with Sean Parker that we started actually this week. So it's it's really turned into something that I think is quite special, but uh, it's just been like, you know, almost like blind, unquestioned belief in the spirit of entrepreneurship, if that makes sense. Um, and it's not just me, by the way, we have an incredible team and we wouldn't have been able to, you know, fulfill on the work or do any of the cool stuff that we've done without like quite an amazing cast of characters at Thrive. So awesome. I like that Very cast cool. of characters. Make it sound like a, a superhero novel. <laughs> <laughs> but so let's so let's talk about entre entrepreneurship for a little bit, because I think a lot of our listeners um, have that sort of entrepreneurial spirit. Sure. And, you know, I think it's important to talk about both both sides of the force. If we could use a really nerdy, I feel like this can be a like nerdy. Yeah. You know, we should we should just call it like nerd talks with Jonathan Becker. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I am a self-identified nerd and geek for sure. So same, same very, here. very comfortable with that. Um, but, you know, if we could use if we could use the Star Wars analogy, like let's talk about the, the sort of like dark side of entrepreneurialism and and the sort of the Jedi side. Right. So what what is that? What does that look like? like if we broke it down, what are some of the things? Because I think mainstream media really portrays entrepreneurialism as this like bright, shiny object of the new rock stars of our generation. Yeah. And they're really, you know, like entrepreneurs are really put on a pedestal. And, you know, entrepreneurs have done a lot for our world and our societies. And so they should get credit. Um, but I think oftentimes we don't see both sides of the spectrum, right? So can you tell us a story about maybe uh, both ends? One, tell us a story about something that has been one of those big challenges, one of those big obstacles for you um, personally with Thrive. And then can you tell us like the rock star story? Like I'm very curious to hear about the story with, with Steve Jobs' widow. Yeah. Okay. I'll try and remember all the parts of that question. Um, <laughs> 
the first part I liked that you mentioned was the, you know, the the dark side and of the force and like all that stuff. So, I mean, it's kind of a funny way of putting it. But I think ultimately when you're building a business, uh, there's a lot of different scenarios. Sometimes it's just you, you know, in your apartment doing work late at night with a laptop. That was my scenario. In other cases, people are taking these days, as you hear, you know, celebrated in the news, huge rounds of funding. Um, still in other cases, people, you know, have all kinds of people working with them and maybe they're volunteer based, maybe they're not, whatever. The dark side of entrepreneurship is that if you convince people to buy into what you're doing, if you're reckless, you can actually do a huge amount of damage. You can cause people to lose a ton of money. You can disappoint, you know, clients who you make promises to, but the worst thing that you can do is messing up people's lives that, you know, give up something else to go and work for you. And so, and I've seen this happen like time and time again, there's actually, um, I can't remember, unfortunately, the name of this blog, I'll have to give it to you later. But uh, there's a funny uh, list of failed startups uh, in the United States that have taken, you know, huge amounts of investment venture backing at different points. And it's kind of like, uh, uh, it, it just, talks about everything that they've done wrong um, and, and why they failed. And it's like a synopsis, you know, of uh, it's almost like a postmortem of, of like of businesses. And so I've seen we've all seen um, the dark side. You've heard of, you know, Enron. We know about what precipitated now, you know, the 2008 banking crisis. These are all people who probably set out to be successful in business. You know, they had maybe not very nice parents, very good family, great friends. But at some point, you know, it almost turned evil for them. In, the, in those cases, it was almost arguably criminal. That's really extreme. That's not generally where this goes. I think in, in many cases um, with entrepreneurship, you know, there's a naivety that comes with it because it's the first time you're doing something. And that's fine. People fail. You know, I, I myself have run failed businesses, but I didn't, you know, throw a rock through a glass castle in doing so. Um, there are other people that I've seen who literally are reckless and just don't take the time to think through the numbers. Um, they don't necessarily care about you know, the people that you know are, m- comprise their team as much as they should, all of that. So that is the dark side of entrepreneurship. You end up wielding a lot of power in certain cases, and sometimes uh, it's to the detriment of everyone around you. Um the positive side is that, you know, the, the exact flip side of this is that you can massively, positively impact people's lives. So you see, oh, man, there's so many businesses these days that have, you know, a triple bottom line or something like that. So they're, they're for profit, but at the same time, they're trying to make an impact on a certain cause that they're doing. Um, in other cases, uh, you know, their product is actually quite innovative and they're, they're, they've rethought the way that we do something and they're adding quite a bit of utility to the world. So Uber is a great example of this. I love Uber totally disrupting, you know, market. I don't have anything against taxi drivers, but man, if you've used Uber, it's just better. It's just so much better. So it's one of those services where you're like, this is going to change the category and, and why hasn't this been around forever? Because it's, it's just better service. Yeah. yeah. And so technology kind of allows for that. Um, but when it comes down to it, when I think about, you know, the good that I personally have done. So when I say I, I actually mean we and uh, me, Brent MacArthur, Ross McGowan. You know, there's a bunch of people that run Thrive. I think the best thing that we've done is provide people with jobs and provide them with a, an environment where they're not being terrorized by management, um, (laughs) where, you know, agencies are high pressure, like there's high stakes, there's a lot, um, 
there's a lot going on. We have good days, we have bad days, but I think we try and provide, you know, a stable workplace with a really casual working environment. We try and um, really think through issues when they come up. So when, you know, we haven't actually had really crazy, knock on wood, really crazy HR stuff come up. Um, Some of it is more colorful than others. I'll I'll put it that way. But um, I think we've done a really good job of just making providing like a happy place for people at work, basically, if if I want to borrow that cliche. And, you know, further to that, in terms of doing good in the world, there's this, you know, ripple effect, you give one person a job, you're also maybe supporting the other, you know, their partner in their lives, or we have, you know, people who have families that work with us and stuff like that. And so that's probably, you know, the best contribution that we're really making to society at the moment, other than making a lot of companies an awful lot of money, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but yeah, I think that would that's be the other. That's the frustrating part about about agencies is the amount of work that goes into it and how little they get compensated for it compared to the the value that their that their their clients see. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I won't comment and on spe- that. That's we, speaking from experience as well. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I won't comment on like you know the financial part. Uh, by no means do I feel like we're not being fairly compensated by you know the people that we work with. I think it, it's a uh, it's always a win win situation. We in certain cases have like the absolute pleasure of working with brands that I used to only hear about in the news and on movies and stuff like that. Right. And they have the benefit of our expertise in a very focused, you know, diligent area. And so it's really, you know, a mutually beneficial situation. And we wouldn't be doing it unless we were set up for success, you know, in terms of being able to pay people on our end properly and stuff like that. I think that the amazing thing, I'm actually really proud of this and I get asked about it a lot and we're actually trying to figure out exactly what the reality and and like what it is behind this that's made our company so stable. But in the entire lifetime of our company, we have about 30 people at this stage. We've only ever had one person leave the company. And so like almost zero turnover, but uh, we've only had one person leave the company and then that person went in-house at a different company and hired us to be their agency, Wow, which was amazing, <laughs> yeah. right? So so I can't put my thumb down on exactly, you know, that it's one formula that is like yielded that stability in terms of HR and just, you know, low churn in terms of people leaving. But we're doing something right, yeah. which is great. Awesome. What, what maybe are like one or two of the things that you think, because you talked about creating a culture and I think a lot of people struggle to really um, create that solid culture within their business. And yeah. whether they're managers or leaders, and I'm sure that you know lots of our listeners out there are, you know, managers or leaders in their own right, or maybe they're running their own business. What what are like one or two things that you really think add value to your employees that creates that culture that they want to be a part of? Yeah, so I think in this particular area, it is incredibly powerful and important to not focus on material things and not only focus on money, basically. So it's not to say that people, you know, don't want more and more of a salary. I I always say, you know, uh, to people never to be ashamed to ask for money. Everybody wants more money all the time type thing. And that's just like a constant, you work in in a company, you want more money, that's fine. But you know, everybody at every company gets a salary, everybody, you know, most people get benefits, there's, you know, material benefits to being in like a snazzy office, like whatever it is. Honestly, if I had to drill down a little bit, I think what 
was alluring, at least I, I can only speak from personal experience, what really made me buy into Thrive. And I think this would be the same for some of the earlier, you know, hires and uh, team members that we developed was that we thought we were doing something very differently than everybody else in our sector. And we thought we were better at it than everyone. And so and, and that's not coming from a place of cockiness. It's coming from having worked at other agencies and then having worked in-house with agencies and understanding the traditional agency model and where they went wrong. And we honestly just wanted it harder like than, than everyone else. We would just, I always say the, the expression that I use is that we would just get there. So clients, you know, would have demanding requests or something like that. In certain other agencies and environments, when I was interacting with agencies, I'd see people be like, well, you know, I have to get this to you tomorrow because I'm going home now. We would just like work all night type thing. We would, you know, or, or there would be like one extra step, despite the fact that at this point we might be losing money on our time devoted to a project. There'd be one extra step or two extra steps we'd have to take in order to really nail down something and we would just do it. And so the environment that people started, you know, being hired into was that we were like total badasses. And oh, sorry, I want to back that up with the fact that we knew everything about what we were doing. Like we, uh, the, the early core, you know, team of Thrive was people who had been in the industry for years and were at the top of their game. We all had really senior roles and had amazing experience already. And so we came into this at that stage as total experts. We weren't just like, oh, I want to, you know, start an agency and offer design services and creative services and performance marketing. And like, we decided just to do one thing extraordinarily well. And so when people, um, you know, came to us initially, I don't mean to sound like a douchebag in saying this, but I think we had a really badass, like counterculture vibe in our office that was going completely against the grain. So we were just not like what you would see elsewhere in the agency world at the time. Yeah, I mean, I think that's important because a lot of, I mean, there's been a lot of research done. We talked about millennials before. There's been a, a lot of research done around millennials. And one of the biggest things that millennials look for in a work environment is a work environment of, you know, quote unquote, greatness, right? Where not only are they being held accountable, but they see their peers being held accountable to a certain standard of excellence. And I think it's no longer acceptable to be a part of an organization where, you know, one person's half-assing it and the other person is putting in a shit ton of work, right? It's just, yeah. it's like not acceptable anymore. And people don't want to be a part of that. Yeah. They want to be a part of an organization where they know that every single person around them is hustling yeah. and they know that they're going to be held accountable to that standard. So I think that maybe, maybe, Maybe inadvertently, you almost like created that uh, that ecosystem. It sounds like, um, which is incredible. So for those of you that are listening out there, create an ecosystem of hustle. Yeah, we. I think we need to start wrapping it up soon. But um, Roger, do you have a question for? You know, him? we always like to ask, what is your what's your definition of success? Ah, uh, really good question. Um, hmm. Maybe let maybe let's break it down into what success looks like from an entrepreneurial standpoint, and then what success looks like from a yeah. pers personal standpoint. Well, I think um, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, um, you know, the classic one is that people uh, see uh, the material wealth that comes with you know a, a really strong business as being successful. To be honest, like I never really focused on that the the fancy car, or the 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 special big house, or stuff like that. Like. I never really cared about that stuff, to be honest, for um, 
I just never really cared about it. So it wasn't so much that I, my, my success metric for me personally, anyway, not like the archetype of entrepreneurs was always that I wanted to lead a team. I loved the idea of managing people, um, working with them towards goals, um, you know, and, and the success and certainly like, you know, money is, I guess, a byproduct of this, but um, the success scenario that I always envisioned in my head was, you know, we have like 10 people working with us and we have some really cool clients that people had actually heard of or recognized and stuff like that. And I got to lead a team. Um, now we're 30 people, you know, and a lot of our clients are household brands and we have offices now in Europe and obviously North America and we're expanding and it's really exciting. So I think now my definition of success is can I can I keep it together uh, <laughs> in the sense that it's, uh, it's it, by no means do I mean to insinuate that there's any instability. At it's the not company. another house of cards, is it? <laughs> no, it's not a house of cards. There's just a lot going on. And at a certain right. point, you have to start to be comfortable letting go of things that you've been doing yourself for years and delegating them off to experts, you know, on your team. And so in certain cases, those experts, you know, rise to the challenge and they're there. In other cases, you have to find them. Um, and that's hard because we are a people-based organization. We're only as strong as our people. And so if we get the wrong people or we don't support people enough so that they can be successful, then we end up suffering. And so those are the types of problems that I'm working through now. That's awesome. And, and you know, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down the road, what sort of a legacy do you want to live, leave? That's a really good question. I take it one day at a time, to be honest. Uh, but if I had to try and think about some sort of legacy that I wanted to leave, uh, it would probably just be that, you know, we are remembered for being great people to work with and always having been fair. And, you know, uh, that we exercised pragmatism in running the business. So we did the best we could effectively. That's awesome. what that means. Yeah. And and for the listeners out there uh, that are curious, what are, what's something that you're excited about that's coming up in the, on the horizon? Is there anything that you're working towards that you can share? Oh man, there's so much. Yeah. So um, we, there, there's, I, I unfortunately now I, I know exactly the answer that I would love to give you like <laughs> off the record. Um, all I can say is that there are some incredibly exciting things we have in the pipeline from, uh, you know, how the company is going to be developing and it literally it's physical shape, you know, over the next uh, six to 12 months. And then also with some of the projects that we might, you know, have the good fortune of being able to work on over the next a uh, little while. So there, there's just so much that's exciting uh, that that uh, I'm really proud of. I'm very proud of the fact that this is all happening in Vancouver, um, that we're, you know, Canadian entrepreneurs and that we're getting to kind of stretch our legs and, and develop some muscle in that area as it's well. It's an exciting time to be in the city right now. It those really are, is. Those are yeah. very like uh, top secret CIA answer. Yeah. I really liked yeah. it. <laughs> it was super. I felt like I just got uh, the NSA answer totally there. Is. It's like, yeah, you know what? We have some exciting projects coming up. So if Connor and I are, aren't on the podcast next week, you know yeah, what? You, you know, know what happened to us. <laughs> yeah. Jonathan Becker took I told us them, out. Them, <laughs> I told them and they disappeared yeah. afterwards. Uh, John, where can people find you if they want to learn more about maybe coming to to work with you or if they wanted to find you and you know in, interview you or just learn a little bit more about the company where do they find you sure so yeah great question so uh i love twitter twitter's been at kind of the core of my uh, uh ascent i guess in this area <laughs> so it's uh at jz becker um and then uh obviously anyone who wants to work with us feel free to reach me on linkedin um just my name jonathan becker is my profile 
Um, and then for anybody who's interested in learning more about Thrive, our website is thrivedigital.co, not .com, just co. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And for those that want to learn more about Mantox, they can go visit mantox.com for more podcasts, blog posts, uh, which we've got some great ones up recently, and all sorts of information about our events. And please, please, please subscribe to us on iTunes. It, it goes a, a really long way uh, to, you know, to get the show out there into as many uh, ears as possible. And please leave a subscription. And just a reminder, the uh, Lewis Howes event and Ryan Holmes event is live, so check it out on mantox.com. Um, if you have any questions, check it out. But uh, if you get a ticket and you show up, you're going to get Lewis Howes' uh, best-selling. It's the best-selling on the New York Times Sorry. right now. Yep. Uh, you're going to get his book when you, when you come to the event. So come check it out. Awesome. Thanks so much for listening to the Man Talks podcast. Catch us next week for another inspiring conversation with an inspiring man. Thank you.